All right, so if you're watching online and you wonder what I just said, I was telling everybody that in a strand of lights, when you buy lights, in the little clear package, there's one that's colored red. And if you plug that into one of the spots, it will make your strand of lights flash, okay? That's important. If you take nothing else away from today, remember that, okay? Remember that. My heart is so full this morning, there's nowhere else that I would rather be today as we continue our series, The Gospel of Christmas. Uh, this is technically week four of our series. We took a slight break for the children's play last week, which I was blessed by, and hopefully you were as well if you were here to watch it. Uh, we've talked about some really important things throughout this series. The first week, we discussed how Christ is a justifiable reason to have hope, how we as believers uh, must place our hope in him and how God justified that hope. This was week two. God justified that hope through his love by providing his son to us and how the response week three, the proper response to that love shown by God is faith, faith in Jesus. Well, today we talk about the reward of placing our faith in Jesus. And that is grace. That's grace. We're going to be in John chapter three to start today. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen with us. But we're going to look at verse 17 and 18, which followed John three sixteen. if you didn't know that. But this is what they say. It said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Here's the thing. Light may cast shadows, but its purpose is to illuminate. Okay, I want you to hold on to that. Light may cast shadows, but its purpose is to illuminate. You see, Christ's purpose wasn't to condemn people. People stand condemned in light of who he was, right? Because he was the perfect lamb of God. But he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He came that the world might be saved through him. Salvation comes through our belief, right? And that's part of us putting our faith in Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ, it just so happens that the opposite of that belief solidifies the standing we're already in, where Christ finds us when he enters into this world, which is in a state of death, right? Because of our sin, the wages of sin is death, and that's where we find ourselves upon meeting Christ. But he came that he might save us, right? Not that he condemn us. And I think as believers, especially in the Christmas season, I think we need to hold on to that. Right, that Christ came into this world not to condemn people, but that he might be able to save them. And as Christians, so often we look around our world and we see the things that are less than savory going on, and that's our first inclination, is to condemn. Is to say, that's not God-like. Right? That, that, that's sinful. That's not a good thing for us to partake in. That's not a good thing for us to be around. Rather than, how might we share the light of Christ? How might we help others to find salvation? Okay, by not choosing light, we find ourselves settling in darkness. But by choosing life, and by not choosing life, we, we settle for that death. But when we place our faith in Christ, we get to experience grace. Faith is a prerequisite for the gift of grace, right? We don't experience grace without faith. 
Grace came with the birth of Christ, and that's one of the reasons why I celebrate Christmas. That's one of the reasons why I think Christmas is so important. And as we read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we see two examples of people who get to experience God's grace uh, outside of of the shepherds who we've already talked about. Uh, It actually happens a little later in Jesus' life as he's being dedicated in the temple. And we're going to look at that first person with the story of Simeon. If you remember the story of Simeon, uh, it takes place really in in Luke chapter 2, 27. 7 through 32, and this is what it says. It says, Moved by the Spirit, he, meaning Simeon, went to the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel. Now, when I read this passage, every time I first read this passage, the first thing I think about is if anybody grabbed my child out of my hands, they'd be getting decked, right? Like I'd take the child back, Jericho take the child, now you're getting punched in the face, right? But what Simeon had to say to Mary and Joseph was so life-altering, was so um, kind of shocking to them, which if we think about their whole story, maybe it shouldn't have been, right? Because here's Mary, a virgin, receiving a message from an angel that she's going to give birth to a child, knowing that she has never had that type of relationship with a man. Here's Joseph, who has had an angel visit him and tell him, you are basically going to be God's son's stepdaddy, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what happens, okay? They, they've had all this take place, and yet they're still amazed by these words because this is their baby, Right. This is their this is their their little child. They're here to to follow custom. They're here to dedicate this child to the Lord. They are not expecting anyone or anything to really know who this child is yet. Even if they believe the message that came from God, to think that that could possibly be what would take place for this baby is just too much for them to comprehend. But what we see in Simeon, what we witness in this story is one of, in my opinion, one of the, the, the most profound experiences of grace that takes place in Scripture. And it parallels perfectly with John three seventeen and 18, but it also parallels perfectly with our entire series. You see, Simeon was a man who had placed his hope in the coming Messiah. He was a believer of God. He was a man who had faith in God. And at some point in his life, he had been given a message that before he died, before he died, he would get to experience the Messiah. He would know the Messiah. But Simeon was well on in years. He was not a young guy. This isn't some, you know, 20 something walking in and like recognizing Jesus. This is an old man who didn't have that much time left here on this earth. And so for him to recognize the promise of God in a baby, he had to have been a man who expressed his faith and had a belief that this was going to occur for him in order for him to even recognize who Jesus was. You see, we look around this world so often and we wonder how the world can't see God moving. How can people not attribute that to a miraculous and powerful God, and it's because they're not looking for God. Simeon was able to recognize Jesus because he was looking for Jesus. And so when we look around this world and we want to condemn people because they're not godly, when we want to condemn people because they haven't experienced the same amount of grace that we have, we need to understand that The reason that they haven't recognized that God is moving is because they're not looking for God, but it is our job to point people towards 
God. It's our job to point people towards Jesus. And in that way, we get to participate in the Christmas story. That's pretty mind-boggling to me. That God would use an idiot like myself to help bring others to salvation doesn't compute. But even in that, we see God's grace. See, Simeon is a man who placed his hope in the coming Messiah. At some point, he was given that message. His faith and belief that it would be so allowed him to witness salvation. It allowed him to experience grace. Christmas is an expression of grace. And we have got to be that, that message that Simeon received at some point. We've got to be that message for others. And here's what the message is. Let's go to Ephesians. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, Christ finds us in the depths of our sin. He's not waiting for us to get things figured out. He's there to help us figure things out. But he searches for us in the depths of our sin. Where we stand condemned, that's where Christ found each and every one of us who call him Savior. And that's where he's looking for those who need his grace. Right? It's through his mercy that he rescued us from those depths. It's through his mercy that he rescued us from sin. It is an act of just just tremendous grace that we experience salvation through faith. I'm going to say that again because I bobbled it a little bit. It is an act of tremendous grace that we experience salvation through faith. Not something that we accomplish on our own. Not something that can be done through various works or tasks that we can check off our list. It is a gift. It is a gift. And here's what's so just absolutely amazing about this gift we were dead right in order to to be a christian in order to experience salvation we have to be born again which means that if we have to be born again we are not living we are dead that is where christ finds us in our death but through christ we are raised to equal standing with Christ. And I want you to think about that. Christ, who, who came to this earth as king of the world, not recognized by the world as what he was, not exalted, not lifted up, beaten, broken, this world tore his body apart. Yet he, he did nothing to deserve it. He did nothing wrong. And now where he is, is in a place exalted, where he should be in heaven. And what he did through his act on a cross is raise our standing equal to his. Think about that. 
we rest spiritually with Christ where he rests physically in heaven. Because of Christ, you are citizens of heaven. Because of Christ, you have a place that is guaranteed in heaven. And you are not deserving. None of us are. There is nothing that we've ever done to earn it. There's nothing we possibly could do to earn it. But Christ came with the literal purpose of raising us to equal standing with him so that when God sees us, he sees us as he sees Jesus, his children. We are God's children. You know, when I was a youth age kid, about 15 or 16, I came up with an answer uh, to a Sunday school question, and it became my answer for like, if I'm being honest, probably like 10 years. I just stopped using it a couple years ago, but I think it's really profound, and it's this. Jesus is a filter. Think about that. We even put it on a t-shirt once. You ready? Jesus is a filter. Pick a filter. It could be a coffee filter. It could be a furnace filter. He's a filter. Right? And what do filters do? They, whatever's passed through that filter, they clean all the nastiness, right? And, and what comes out on the other side is something that we can use, we can breathe, right? It, it's clean. This is profound, I know. You're like, oh, I never thought of it this way. But Christ acts as a sort of filter that when God sees us through him, we're equal. It doesn't make sense. It's why the world has such a problem believing it because it's not how we operate, right? You don't get to act however you want, be a buffoon, and then somebody just come along and say, hey, I know you've been an idiot your whole life, and uh, I know that you've disrespected me like at every turn, and uh, you just have spit on me a couple times and punched me in the face for no reason and all these things, but I would like you to have half of this lottery winning that I just earned, right? It doesn't work that. We don't, we don't comprehend how that could possibly be, but that's exactly how Jesus works. He looks at us and he says, well, they couldn't earn it. They don't deserve it. But I have the character of my father, and I know that we love them. And so I'll be the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, you can send me down there. I'll live earth as a normal human being. I'll experience temptation just like they do. I'll see sin at every turn. I'll be rejected. I'll be spit on. I'll be beaten. You can put me on a cross. You can shed my blood. You can break my body. I'll do that for them. That's the Christmas story. Not as pretty as beautiful little baby wrapped in a cloth and placed in a manger, but when we connect the dots and realize that that took place just so that he could grow up to be a man and die kind of sheds a new light on things and the grace that we get to experience. So we rest spiritually with Christ where he rests physically in heaven. And this takes place because of what verse 7 calls the incomparable riches of his grace, which is expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's talking about Christ's death on a cross. That's the incomparable riches is the blood that he shed. In verse 8, Paul reiterates his words that he said in verse 5. Whenever somebody, somebody repeats something in Scripture, you know it's important, right? In verse 2-8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. This verse is written originally in the Greek perfect tense. Why do you care? Why is that important? This is why. Because it tells us that salvation is a presently, right now, and permanently, right now, achieved thing through a past action. Think about that. Why is that important? Because it tells us that salvation is presently and permanently achieved through what Christ did on a cross years and years and years and years ago. You can have confidence in what Christ did for you on that day because he is continually paying that payment. He has once and for all destined you to be in the same standing as him. Our salvation is presently and permanently achieved through Christ's actions. We can have confidence that our salvation is finalized at the point of faith because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what that means. We can have confidence that our salvation is finalized at the point of faith because of what Christ accomplished on that cross. And just so he can be sure, just so Paul can be sure that in our sinfulness, or our sinfulness we won't somehow uh, make this gift into something that we did, right? We won't somehow try to turn it out to like, look at me, look what I can do. I brought about salvation for myself. He makes sure that we are aware that it is purely a gift. It is purely a gift. There is no work to earn it. And if you want to teach your kids about why we give each other Christmas gifts on Christmas Day, that's why. We aren't giving gifts because you deserve it. We aren't giving gifts because you've been a good boy and good girl this year and Santa said you're on the nice list. I'm not saying you can't have that fun too. But we're giving gifts because it represents the gift that Christ gave to us. Not something that we earn, not something that we deserve, but something that we have. And even our works aren't from ourselves. You see, he said we were created to do works destined by God. We are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. That is so because he has said that it is so. We are created at our cores to carry out the love of God in the world around us. And that is grace. Let's pray. God, as we come to you right now this morning, today, Father, we just ask that you would shine light on our darkness. God, that you would show us the, the things and the areas uh, that we need to get rid of, that, that we need to improve so that we can become more like you. Father, we are so thankful for the grace that we experience through the birth of Jesus, a grace that we know that we do not deserve, a grace that we could never, ever possibly earn, but yet still a grace that you have given us. God, may we be people who reflect the character of Christ. May we be a people who, who love others like you have loved us, who don't look at the world ready to condemn them, but look at the world and think, God, how might I bring about their introduction to Christ so that they can experience the same grace and the same salvation that I have? That is what it means to be 
a follower of Christ. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We ask for all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you guys haven't noticed uh, this morning, we have uh, Henry's pool up here today. Uh, which means that we have some baptisms taking place at the end of service. And uh, we have some people who uh, have not only realized that they have experienced Christ's grace, but have also decided that they would like to become part of our church uh, in a very formal fashion. And so it is my hope that even though I know everybody has busy schedules and you have things going on after this, that you can stay for those baptisms. Uh, it'll happen as soon as we're done worshiping here. We've got a couple more songs left. Uh, we'll get the kids over so that they can be a part of that too and then uh, we'll get started with that, okay?